This is The Guardian. Today, reports of a blast in the middle of the night, and then a flood that will change Ukraine for a generation. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What you're thinking about when you drive towards Herson is the fact that it's in the front line, right? Dan Saber is The Guardian's defence and security correspondent. He's on his way to Kherson, a city the Ukrainian army recaptured in November. And since then, still one of the most dangerous parts of the country. It's one of the hardest hit cities in Ukraine. It usually gets hit multiple times with shells and other missiles during the day. As he pulls into the city, he sees the familiar scars of war. But this time, he's here to witness a different catastrophe. The town was also really, really quiet, re- notably quiet. Her song was deserted and it was eerie. Over the past 48 hours, the landscape of southern Ukraine, dozens of cities and towns along the Dnipro River, have been transformed. As Dan goes deeper into the city, closer to the riverbank, where there were once streets and houses and schools. Now there's just dark, oily water. You know, what was unmissable when you get to it, of course, was just water lying what appeared relatively low or lapping up into the city and the gentle hill that we had just come down. And if there's a roundabout, you couldn't tell that. It was submerged in water. And if you went into the water, you didn't have to go far before you would be two, three feet deep. Much more importantly, you know, the water was rising. The few people left in Hassan are struggling to make sense of this latest blow to their city. Some who have stayed through all the fighting are preparing to leave. Others calculating how much longer they can stay. And one person catches Dan's eye. There's a bunch of residents kind of milling around, you know, some in a state of shock, some talking to each other. But there was a very distinctive woman, uh, Larissa Muzian. She was sitting on the street corner there and she was holding a a, a metre-long measuring stick, you know, with centimetres clearly delineated. And she was sitting there with a bit of of paper and she stuck her metre-long rod into the water and was, of course, measuring the water levels. Um, I'm Dan, I'm a journalist with The Guardian in London. So Dan's Hazate is a Guardian in London. Yeah, and I just, um, could you just tell me your name and what you're doing here today? Turned out that she was a hydrologist for the sort of regional hydrology centre. This was her specialism. And she said, the water's rising, and it's rising by six to eight centimetres every every 30 minutes. And it's three metres and ten centimetres above where it was when the, when the dam burst or in normal times. 
In the early hours of Tuesday morning, there was an explosion at the Kohovka Dam, a structure 90 times larger than the biggest dam in the UK. Its breach sent a sea of water flooding into towns and cities downstream. Upstream, there were fears that in some areas, drinking water could soon run out. It's being called a war crime, the largest man-made disaster in Europe since Chernobyl, one that will affect Ukrainian civilians for a generation, and the war in ways that nobody can yet predict. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the destruction of the Kohovka Dam. So Dan, can you begin by telling us about this dam? Where is it and how big is it? In the Soviet era under Stalin, a series of very ambitious hydroelectric dams were built across the vast Dnipro River. It's the kind of it's Ukraine's river. It's the river that that splits the country into very crudely running north-south. Novokakovka is the last dam before the Black Sea. It was it was built in 1956. It was 30 meters high. And it was holding back these vast reservoirs. The Dnipro could even be kilometres wide in some places, but certainly several hundred metres wide. This is no British river, or uh, this is a vast continental river. There was a hydroelectric plant, and it provided hydropower for the region. But the way the war shaped out, it ended up pretty close to the front line. But after Ukraine liberated Kherson in November, the hydropower station became bang on, bang on the front line. So it became this sort of symbol of critical infrastructure caught up in the war. And the fear was that something was always going to happen to it, whether it was in the fighting or, as Ukraine had warned repeatedly, the Russians had mined the dam and that they had the potential to explode it at any time. And then on Tuesday, when did we learn that something might have happened there? Somewhere around 3 a.m., Residents of Novokakovka seem to be reporting on telegram channels, and this is the crucial thing that everyone's going to be looking at uh, in the coming days. But the city and the population is on the Russian side and the Russian-held area, and residents started to report an explosion. And then a few minutes later started to report very strange noises coming from the dam. Soon enough, this sort of spread on social media because it's a very important piece of infrastructure. Within a couple of hours, I'd woken up a five in the morning to check my phone. And I could see there were reports, but no imagery of the dam being breached. Half an hour, 40 minutes later, I picked up the phone again. There was a video of just water plunging through this, this, this breach in the dam. Whoa, 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 whoa. It was obvious what it was. It was obvious that it wasn't going to be faked. And as Ukraine woke up and then progressively, you know, Europe and the world, we could see it was obvious there was a major environmental humanitarian disaster on our hands. Let's begin with that humanitarian impact. What is the consequence of so much water being released at one time to all of these communities living downstream of this dam? Well, the first thing, of course, is that this was clearly unscheduled and and no one seems to be aware of it. So 
you know, you go back to that old river line. There are a lot of low-lying areas in the Dnipro Delta that have emerged, kind of reclaimed land, if you like, that have emerged since the dam was built. So suddenly there are an awful lot of areas that would be below river level and at risk, certainly for the initial surge of flood water and probably permanently. I saw that you were being rescued earlier. Can you just tell me what happened What happened to you? Where did you live? What happened with the flood? I even in the so they are from one of the islands that was occupied up until yesterday. Oh wow! Uh -huh. Yeah, till this morning. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. So they were in occupation up until yesterday, basically. One of the islands. Yeah. Tell me, so what happened to your house? What happened to your house? Do you have a little dash? Yeah, the house is it's completely uh, covered with water. Yeah. Completely covered in water. Completely. Just the chimney. Just the chimney. So how did you how how did you survive last they, night? They got on the they had the hunter's boat. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And they got on the boat and then they stayed with their neighbors because they had the second floor. Wow. No, they, at first they thought it's not going to be this bad. Okay. They thought it's going to be a little water, but they went more and more and more and then they realized that they have to go. Uh, Ukraine's made a prediction that there are 42,000 people at risk from the dam flooding just in terms of the risk of destruction to their homes and so forth. And there's an awful lot of more low-lying land on the, um, the Russian-held side where it's really unclear what the extent of evacuation plans are. So they were there, this gentleman says the Russians were there. Yesterday they moved their own. They fled themselves, they, yeah. yeah and are you are you are you glad to be in Ukraine now, in free Ukraine now? <laughs> are you kidding me? As if I was reborn. Ukrainian officials are announcing evacuations are the first thing on. On Tuesday morning, uh, Russian evacuations did happen from Novokovka town itself. So this is extremely serious. And clearly, there's going to be a significant long-term effect on families and homes. I mean, that's incredible to imagine that all of these towns, all of these villages may be washed away. And in some, I guess, the water will eventually recede. But are there, are there others where they're just going to remain underwater for the foreseeable future? That looks highly likely. And I mean, that's why it makes the, uh, you know, if the destruction was deliberate, what makes it astonishingly reckless? Because it's, you know, it's really, really hard to calculate the consequences. And of course, there has been modeling done, but modeling depends on fine details. For example, the size of the breach in the dam. There's also how much water was in the reservoir behind the dam. So it's really, really hard to predict the precise effects. And that's what makes the whole thing terrifying, uh, particularly if you live in an affected area. We just don't know where the water levels will end up. We don't know where the peak will be, and we just don't know where the water levels will end up. And I suspect mm. we're not going to know that for several days. We're going to turn to Zaporizhia, the nuclear power plant, on warnings about the risks there. And the head of the UN's nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, says the security situation around the plant is extremely fragile because of continued military activity in the region. Dan, the Dnipro River is the site of not just cities and villages and farms, but the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. What risks does this disaster pose for that plant? 
mercifully, fewer than you would think, though clearly there's been an awful lot of anxiety and focus about the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. It's the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. It's It's been held by the Russians. Zaporizhia has six reactors, and I think, uh, as I understand it, four of the six reactors at the nuclear plant are completely shut down. Two, however, on a kind of hot shutdown, they produce a small amount of energy, so they're still sort of functional on some level. In order to kind of continue even at that lower level, they do need um, a certain amount of water for cooling. And there is, critically, there is on site a reservoir. There's a sort of, there is a special reservoir of, of, of water, which would be enough for, to keep the cooling systems going permanently, as long, of course, that's not disrupted and destroyed. Now, the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, said immediately that there was no immediate nuclear safety risk. But I tell you what, the disruption of the dam has shown us, which is even when serious consequences are known and foreseeable, something can go wrong. Because I very much doubt what happened at Novokakovka was an accident. Dan, on Wednesday, Ukrainian food and agriculture officials warned that the damage to water reservoirs, to irrigation systems, could turn parts of southern Ukraine into deserts. These are areas where much of the wheat consumed around the world is grown. Can you tell me about some of the environmental impacts of releasing so much water so quickly into the landscape? It's it's obvious, I think, to all of us that a, a vast, uncontrolled release of you know, 18 million cubic metres of water is going to have a devastating effect. And certainly, as I said to you, I mean, the smell of oil uh, is, un- and the sight of the iridescence of oil is unmistakable when you get down to the river level. You know, if a lot of islands in the Delta are washed away, what sort of habitats are we affecting here? This is a massive environmental catastrophe. Whatever the cause, experts warn of a potential humanitarian and environmental crisis. The dam provides electricity and drinking water to a huge swath of southern Ukraine. And there's a whole series of, let's call them unintended consequences, but there's a whole series of consequences here. One of the things has happened, uh, both banks are heavily mined by both sides because, of course, they want to stop a river crossing the rivers the front line. Of course, the rising water levels have swept a lot of these mines downstream. And in some cases, and we saw a video of this, the mines were detonating, perhaps flipping over and, and hitting, a, you know, hitting a stone on the bed or some such. Clearly a point of danger. And of course, the reality is, yeah, mines will be swept downstream and the ones that don't explode and suddenly we'll find them uh, you know, on or near riverbanks or places that were flooded and, and causing a danger to people. And Dan, what's striking about that is those impacts you're talking about won't just hit the Ukrainian-held side of this river. They're also going to affect, in the same way, areas that have been held by Russia for nearly 18 months. It's probably the case that the impacts in the south and Russian-held areas are going to be much more serious than those in the Ukrainian-held areas. There's more low-lying land. Of course, there's a lot of focus on what's going on downstream of the dam, and rightly so. But of course, there are issues upstream because what's happening upstream is that water is being drained out of that reservoir that's existed behind the dam. The dam allowed water to flow into this, uh, you know, it was controversial enough, but this North Crimea Canal, which irrigated the relatively arid areas, both in Russian-occupied Crimea, but also in territory now Russian-occupied, but was part of Ukraine. So these sort of relatively arid areas relied heavily on irrigation to make them cultivatable. One of the things that's happening that this 
this canal, which actually had been closed by the Ukrainians between 2014 and 2022, and the Russians had reopened it to irrigate those areas. Uh, um, basically, the canal started flowing backwards. Essentially, the water started flowing in, uh, out of the canal back into the Dnipro. So you've already got the catastrophe there. And then we've already got reports of drinking water. And there are reports of water shortages in, in, in Ukrainian towns upstream. So you sort of see this massive and fundamental disruptive effect that's going to take place. And I suspect very quickly, we're going to see an emergency water distribution system is going to have to be built up. Trucks bringing in bowsers of water so that people can pick up water supplies. So... This is an act whose consequences um, will affect civilian populations on both sides of the line. Do you, just to be clear, do you think it was the Russians that did it? Do you think, you know, do you think it could have been an accident or something else? Maybe well, specially. I think it's deliberate. Maybe specially. What, what does it make you think of them now? It's hard to choose the words without swearing, and we wish they be washed off by this. The fact that the impacts here will even be felt in Crimea, an area that the Russians claim is their territory, raises the question of who could have been responsible for this? Who do we think did this? There are three possibilities. Possibility one is that the dam was hit by a shell or a missile from the Ukrainian side. I think that mistakes happen in war, so in that sense, it's super theoretically possible. But the reality is it would be unlikely, though one would be wise to rule anything out, it'd be unlikely that a shell from the Ukrainian side, or indeed actually from the Russian side, because we're talking about here the size of explosive and so forth, would land and blow the dam in that way or create a hole in such a way to blow such a, a large hole in the dam so quickly. You look at the video that was released, this is a substantial breach, not a trivial one. So a second theory is that sort of Russian mismanagement theory, that by increasing the water levels in, in the reservoir to 30-year highs, there was a sort of crack or breach was caused and then suddenly and instantly became catastrophic. Uh, it's perhaps a little harder to rule out and you're going to need sort of engineering experts to really sort of weigh in on that in great depth. But personally, I look at the large size of the breach and the fact that it all happened very, very quickly and of course, I referred to it earlier, there are eyewitness reports of explosions being heard in the area. And I think uh, that starts to take you against the idea of some sort of structural failure. So then that takes you to, to Russia. The dam was held by the Russians, not the Ukrainians. So uh, they're in charge. You know, Ukraine had been warning for many months that there be, the dam had been mined initially, I think in April last year and again, October, November, again in the autumn, President Zelensky had said so. And then you've got to add on to that kind of the exact context. The Ukrainians have been preparing for months for a spring offensive that's shifting to the summer. And the pressure's building as they seek to reclaim their lands. Yet both sides are fighting, and the Russians have decided to call it themselves. The offensive has begun, says their military spokesman. But 24 hours earlier, 
you know, Ukraine is thought to have launched this wide, widely anticipated counteroffensive using Western tanks and weapons, newly trained troops. And certainly there would have been a heightened state of nervousness on the Russian side that the Ukrainians could be planning something big. And one of the options was, though risky, a kind of amphibious assault across the Dnipro River, uh, which might have taken advantage of the fact there are relatively lighter fortification, Russian fortifications in that area than there are elsewhere in the front. So that would tend to suggest that the, the Russian theory is the most likely. But there's an interesting other question in within that. Was this a kind of officially sanctioned top-down Kremlin operation? Did, did Vladimir Putin agree to it? That would be very interesting if there's a future war crimes case. Or Grasinov, the commander-in-chief, could they have authorised it as a defensive measure? Stalin, of course, famously blew up the, the larger Zaporizhia hydro plant further up the Dnipro, just on the fringes of Zaporizhia city in World War II. Not very successfully, I think, but nevertheless, you know, there is historical precedent for this. And so there's a kind of question, mark: could it have been more junior officers panicking or acting on their own initiative or thinking they were doing the right thing? What we're going to see going forward is both sides actively accusing each other and, and fighting over what the experts call the information space, but fighting over the narrative. Okay, so at this stage, it looks most likely to be a Russian operation. But in that information war, what are the narratives that both sides are putting forward? So Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, he, he talked about the destruction of the dam as an environmental bomb of mass destruction. He says it's an act of terrorism. He's saying it could only have been the Russians. It is physically impossible to blow it up somehow from the outside by shelling, Zelensky said. It was mined by the Russian occupiers and they blew it up. As for Russia, well, the Kremlin accused Ukraine of sabotaging the dam. Dmitry Peskov, he's um, Vladimir Putin's spokesperson, said, we can state unequivocally that we are talking about the deliberate sabotage by the Ukrainian side. This is Peskov again. This sabotage is also connected with the fact that having started large-scale offensive actions two days ago, now the Ukrainian forces are not achieving their goals. Coming up, this disaster has had humanitarian impacts and environmental ones, but what impact will it have on the war? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. 
It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Dan, you've given us the context here that this took place on the second day of what we think is the long-anticipated Ukrainian counter-offensive. Will this act, whoever did it, have an impact on, on that military conflict? Well, it certainly will have an impact. But then you say, what is the impact? And it's quite hard to judge. And this is where I am lean a little towards the cock-up theory versus the strategy theory. Because for both sides, this is clearly a big known unknown. But the curiosity is, and this is what people say, economy and the Russians, is that it really it affects much more positions on the Russian side, military, of course, as well as people's homes. It, it wasn't like the Russians had pre-evacuated people. It didn't appear to be part of some you know, coordinated plan. Now, you could say that's maybe not the Russian way, but nevertheless... Uh, there are also an awful lot of pictures of watery Russian soldiers, of, of soldiers standing in you know, water and trenches. And so widening the river will definitely help Russia because it will make it harder. The, the, the wider a river crossing is, the harder it is for military to cross uh, and then sustain itself on the other side if you've even got a bridgehead. On the other hand, the Russians may well have been very seriously affected too and be forced to adjust their own positions. And of course, there's that point about what might happen upstream and what if the river narrows at certain points unexpectedly. And the fact is, it's so hard to model that no one quite knows where everything will end up. So this is a really messy situation for both sides. But what you're saying is strategically... If the Russians were to do this, it would be kind of a stupid thing to do because nobody can really predict what the consequences will be of so much water being discharged into the landscape. Exactly. And as I say, that's certainly what tends me to the kind of cock-up idea that something was done at a more, maybe a mid-ranking level or was decided locally or in that appalling phrase, when you think about this, seemed like a good idea at the time, but its consequences were far less predictable or, or someone thought. Its consequences were predictable and they'd looked at some of this modelling and perhaps not really appreciated that, you know, a 200 metre breach in the dam is very different from a 300 metre breach in the dam. Hmm. However this happened, whoever was responsible, what stage of this war does this all signal? Where are we now? Well, it's a reminder that wars are inherently unpredictable and dangerous, that they can have far wider consequences than just in or around the front lines, not just in the country themselves where they're being fought. It shows there's a sort of high degree of recklessness. War brings about reckless and terrible behaviour. So you do have to worry, uh, you know, Russia's pushed things to the absolute limit with the with the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. But you've got to sit there and go, OK, the IAEA is saying it's there's no immediate danger and there's an awful lot of cooling water in this final reservoir. 
But you've got to sit there and think, well, if somebody did choose to blow up that dam, if, and as I say, I think that's the most likely, then what will someone do with the nuclear power stations? New war is not fought over some neutral landscape, fields and trenches. It's fought where people have lives. It's fought where major industries are located. And all that can have much wider consequences. And I think we'd got a bit in the West, the war had kind of settled down into a pattern that people thought they could understand, particularly after the fall of Kherson. There were these long front lines, lots of kind of World War I-style attritional fighting. And suddenly it's sort of, you know, this disaster has taken it to a different phase and has reminded us all why, well, I mean, why wars shouldn't be starting. <laughs> the, the absolute madness of Vladimir Putin's decision to invade Ukraine in the first place and try and demand a very large slice of territory or the, or the country's total subjugation. I suppose it confirms what we already knew, which was that even if this war ends in the next few years, its impacts will continue to be felt. Like, this will scar Ukraine. This will change Ukraine, even geographically, for generations. I really felt that when I was watching the, the Dnipro river level rise on those street corners in Kherson. I just thought, this is a huge river, a force of nature. You know, we're trying to tame its limits, but right now you don't know where the river will settle. You don't know what its damage will be. And I just, you know, sometimes you see those moments, don't you? And you feel, you know, you feel small and humanity feels small. Dan Sabah, thank you very much. Oh, hey, it's really good to talk to you. Thank you very much. That was Dan Saber, The Guardian's defence and security editor. You can read his coverage of this disaster from Ukraine at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and Lucy Hoff. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. And we're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 